Coming up on This Week in Games, the BAFTA Awards held its annual show digitally, E3 sets new dates as IGN tries to fill in the 2020 void, and Gearbox has been accused of withholding bonuses. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and I'm at the point where shelter in place, the days and weeks begin to just blur and swirl together. I don't I don't even know what day it is, but <laughs> here we are, still in a pandemic. Um, all Everyone in the U.S. will be locked down until the end of April, but the game industry marches on. Um, this week was so jam-packed full of news, I found myself cutting stories. It's surprising surprising first up the 2020 BAFTA Awards BAFTA being the British Academy of Film and Television Arts took place digitally last week and it's kind of like the same trends we saw at the DICE Awards the Game Awards the GDC Awards all of those continued the dominance of the indie games in 2019 so let me just call out a few of them best game best game design and best original property goes to Outer Wilds which is Mobius Digital published by Annapurna Interactive. Artistic achievement went to Sayonara Wild Hearts, Simogo, Annapurna Interactive again. Debut game, best music, and best narrative went to my favorite, Disco Elysium. Um, I forgot how to pronounce their studio. It's Z-A slash U-M, Zom? I don't know. <laughs> but Disco Elysium, you've heard me preaching on here before. Evolving game, best evolving game. This is an interesting category. That's why I threw it on here. Path of Exile, Grinding Gear Games. Um, I believe in New Zealand, Path of Exile, best evolving game. What an interesting category. Best family game, the Untitled Goose Game. House House, published by Panic. And best technical achievement, Death Stranding. How could it not be? 2019 was definitely kind of like a shift in the industry, showing that substance can triumph over budget. Um, now I think the real question is, is like, how do you market and sell these indie hits so they generate as much revenue as a Ubisoft or EA counterpart? Or maybe they are already generating that kind of revenue. You know, people used to use like MPD to do physical sales coverage, and you can kind of still like um, through wish lists and reviews and other type of interactions on digital stores like abstract how much you think a game is selling, but. You never really know how much these games are selling. I'd be so curious to see, like, across all the platforms it's on, how a Sayonara Wild Hearts or a Disco Elysium or Outer Wilds really sold. Um, and hopefully they're doing really well. I want to see more from all these people. I want to see less from other studios that are not mentioned on these awards. And all that said, 2019 was a great year for games indeed. Um, speaking of the year in games, the ESA sets a new date for E3 2021 and says E3 will be reimagined. So June 15th to 17th will be the dates for E3 2021. That's next year. Um, along with the dates, the ESA has stated E3 will be reimagined for next year's events. What does that mean? Who the hell knows? Obviously, this is just them trying to like spark some marketing hype, I guess. The reimagining is likely a response to Sony, EA, and Nintendo repeatedly skipping E3 altogether. It was reported even more people might have pulled out of E3 this year if it would have went ahead anyways, stating that the Expo no longer serves the same purpose it once did. So I'm really curious to see what the ESA's response is to this, especially at a time when like 
you know, someone as powerful as Sony or Nintendo can do their own yearly show digitally all of themselves and kind of garner all the same hype in their mind as an E3 would if they were to participate in E3, but they control the entire narrative and where and when it happens. So, and it's kind of like a trade-off between like uh, coming together as a collective group or going off on your own. I guess we'll have to see what E3's reimagining really is. And so kind of the biggest news this week, taking advantage of the lack of public facing gaming expo in North America, IGN steps up to host the quote summer of gaming digital event in June. So IGM created this event to quote, to bring you the latest news and impressions around the upcoming games in the next generation of car of console hardware. Details are still fuzzy, likely because this is a last minute scramble to take advantage of the lack of, of publicity generating events like E3 and like a real GDC. But IGN have managed to assemble a list of publisher platform holders and developers that are severely lacking kind of like outlets to show news. And this list is like 2K, Square Enix, Sega, Bandai Namco, Amazon, Google Stadia, Twitter, Digital Devolver, or Devolver Digital, sorry guys, THQ Nordic, and many more. Very smart move by IGN. I, I mean, IGN you know, knows digital news and is a digital news outlet themselves to take advantage of the lack of physical expos and conventions that normally dominate the summer news. IGN can step in. And like I said, the list of partners are looking for like some kind of outlet to release the news that they should have released probably like last month and then the upcoming months leading up to and including E3. Um, the partners mentioned all had big press releases, announcements, save for these events and you know, they're really just kind of destined for maybe an off-kiltered Polygon article and a YouTube video release. However, the idea really of all these events, and this isn't going to blow anyone away, is if you aggregate all the news from all those partners into one event, the overall event will drive eyeballs to this massive aggregation of news and kind of create a bigger opportunity than if, I don't know, Square Enix just released what they're doing for the next year on their own. For everyone to do it at once... And then, like, all the hype can be on the entire industry. It's kind of like Event Opportunity Exchange 101. And let's see if IGN can keep the ball rolling. Obviously, they're doing this, hoping to become a permanent fixture of get the game industry press junket for 2021. So they do this. It goes off, you know, amazingly. They get a lot of views on Twitch and whatever, a lot of YouTube hits. Who knows? Maybe, you know, next year it'll be DICE GDC. E3 and then IGN's digital only event. You never know. All right. Speaking of press, it's kind of the sad news. Official Xbox magazine, well, officially shuts down. So running for 18 years since the launch of the original Xbox, OXM represented another time in today's world of commoditized information and digital only news outlets. Its parent company, a publisher, Future, which owns over 50 specialized publications, um, closed six different specialized magazines, official Xbox magazine being one of them. Um, yeah, it's pretty, what do you expect? Like, uh, they, so Future apparently started cutting off freelance their freelance journalist budget, which kind of like takes away from the bulk of what these magazines are. There are only so many like events and things that Xbox does every month to fill up the stuff. So they need a bunch of people to write opinions and freelance ideas on, What's the future of Xbox? How does this game rank against that game or such? 
Future apparently cut all that budget first, and then of course that just furthered the decline in the quality of the official Xbox magazine. I'm actually surprised it took this long, because after the closure of Nintendo Power in 2012, I thought the future of company-only or platform-only physical publications was outright doomed. Like, another signs of the times changing, really. And yes, it's sad that people are losing their jobs, but at the same time, how many people are buying physical gaming magazines? And then how could an official Xbox magazine really, like, compete against something like a Polygon or a Kotaku or an IGN, like someone who aggregates all of gaming newses and has a lot of like unique authors with fresh takes on everything along with like breaking news and actual real journalism with some investigation. These like uh, parent company controlled propaganda magazines like a Nintendo Power don't really have a place that much in uh, like the zeitgeist of what people are interested in in magazines. So sad, but... It, it is what it is, people. <laughs> and another sad news, Gearbox is reported to be giving out smaller bonuses than promised on Borderlands 3. So I must warn everyone, none of this is proven, and it's all based on a Kotaku investigation. But Kotaku is reporting that developers are Gearbox are given bonuses much smaller than the six figures they were promised from the Borderlands developer. Employees say that Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford said that Borderlands 3 ran over budget made less money than expected, and Gearbox opening of a new Quebec studio all cut into the bonuses to employees. Gearbox is reported to pay way under the average pay-per-position um, salaries on the basis that developers will receive profit sharing when the game is shipped. Pitchfork then told employees they're free to quit if they don't like their bonuses. Great PR. <laughs> this is terrible. It just reads terrible. This completely <laughs> contradicts publisher 2K, who stated Borderlands 3 was the fastest selling title in the history of the publisher and that uh, in the history of the publisher 2K games and that Borderlands 3 had exceeded expectations at launch. Also not a great sign. Um, employees stated that Gearbox was planning to IPO and that was one of the possible reasons for withholding bonuses from employees. Honestly, it's very easy to solve this. Numbers don't lie. Show the employees the raw numbers. Show them why they receive larger bonuses, maybe on past titles compared to the sales and net revenue for Borderlands 3. Super simple. Likely the leadership won't do that. Not because, you know, they don't want to give their own employees the competitive information of their sales, but maybe also because the leadership didn't take a bonus hit uh, when putting money in their pockets, or they're actually really are withholding bonuses for reasons stated above. I'd be pretty upset. You can't keep revenue sharing from employees because you, as a leader, decide to open a new Quebec studio. Like, that needs to come out of, like, your company's digressionary expansion budget, I guess. You know, like, don't tell people, hey, we're paying you less, but you get profit sharing. Oops, we want to expand the company. So that profit sharing is going to that, which is going to further my plans as a CEO to become a multi-hundred million dollar millionaire. Whatever. Honestly, we just need better revenue sharing practices that are handled by third parties like one of the big four accounting firms and made transparent to employees. I worked at Zynga and at one point they had an interesting profit sharing thing where if you join the specific team, they showed you how a profit pool is generated like, oh, after this much money is recouped from a game or whatever, the rest of the profits go into this pool 
and then you're assigned a hard percentage of that pool. And then when they give you the bonuses, they show you the math. I thought that was like the greatest thing ever. And I actually never received like giant profits from that. But just the fact of how like transparent they were and how they're like, here's how it's calculated. And here's your raw, you know, number of that pool. Here you go. Genius. I think every studio should kind of like take that into consideration as a maybe model to copy, but uh, it sucks. It sucks when you go work for these companies like a Gearbox, if this is true, it's allegedly happening, but it sucks when you go work for companies, you're getting paid less, you're going, man, we're going to put our blood, sweat, and tears into this because we're going to get a cut of the profits. And then everything's about the C-suite and executives taking that money and then expanding the business so they can then IPO or sell off part of the company or whatever they're doing to line their pockets more, nothing sucks worse as a developer. So sorry if it's true, guys. Hopefully someone can get to the bottom of this. All right, a lot of other smaller news. I'll blow through it pretty fast to get to our business news. So first off, game, UK's re the UK's retailer, similar to GameStop here in North America, were for low employees, but pay them through April. So in a sign of goodwill, game will empl pay employees 80% of their salary with a cap throughout April as stores are set to stay closed. Unfortunately, the retailer said it cannot guarantee jobs and salaries will remain if the lockdown were to continue past April. Honestly, good on them. Like physical retail and games is terrible right now. And, but it's still amazing that they kind of can have the cash flow to really give employees 80% of their salary, you know, through April. Awesome on them. I mean, things are much worse here in the United States, especially in a lot of service businesses. So, you know, just really good all around. All right, next up, 10 Giant is suing Atari for unpaid work on the upcoming Atari VCS. So the VCS just sounds like uh just sounds like a nightmare. It keeps getting delayed, lots of problems. Uh, so a back and forth lawsuit is underway as Atari and 10 Giant blame each other for both unpaid work and delays on the Atari VCS. 10 Giant was founded by Xbox architect Rob Wyatt and contracted to do, I guess, hardware design in the upcoming Atari system. Honestly, I'd be very wary of working with Atari at this point. The company has changed directions and missions and parent company and parent company names so many times without a assembling anything in that resembles profitability um yeah i you, sh you probably shouldn't trust companies like this and it just sucks when you get contracted out for something as important as hardware design for a brand new console and then get stiff for unpaid work i don't know i don't know it's all allegedly uh happening there's a lawsuit they'll get to the bottom of it but it's just rough, just rough. All right, next up, Phil Spencer states that Microsoft is still charging ahead with the Xbox's Series X launch in Q4. Nothing groundbreaking here. Uh, Phil Spencer spoke with IGN on a podcast and said there's no plan B and that staggering the launch of the Series X would be detrimental to Xbox in general. He pointed to the reopening of Chinese manufacturing as a sign that launch could occur as planned. Honestly, makes sense. Uh... You don't really have a choice if you're a large console and trying to make a launch window, so kind of plow ahead. All right, last up, rumor mill, um, high rumor. Project Tempo, the name of Amazon's cloud gaming platform, may be delayed until 2021 because of the coronavirus outbreak. So not to surprise anyone, Amazon has a cloud gaming platform of their own in development named Project Tempo. The New York Times has published an article stating that Project Tempo was set to launch in Q4 2020, but it's now being delayed until 2021 due to the pandemic sweeping the world. 
the cloud gaming field is also incredibly crowded at this point, and nobody is showing anything that resembles a return on investment in cloud gaming. So at this point, if I were a C-suite at any company trying to launch cloud gaming, I would make sure I had a war chest of exclusivities and content that would drive usage to the platform because honestly, a lot of these half-assed launches by NVIDIA and Google prove that really MVP doesn't work for platforms like it does for like, I don't know, games as a service, software as a service. You can't just release a beta form of a console and promise that it'll get better in the future and promise that one day you'll have exclusivities. Really do it right. So honestly, any delays by Amazon are probably just going to help it in the long run. All right, let's kick it off. So business news, fundraising and merger and acquisitions are surprisingly alive and well in the time of shelter in place. I'm surprised all these deals can even get done. So let's kick it off. There is a lot going down this week. Lightheart Entertainment raises 1.4 million in seed round. So almost a carbon copy of last week's uh, Big Run Studios seed round. Lightheart Entertainment raises 1.4 million led by Galaxy Interactive's Galaxy EOS VC fund. So Lightheart Entertainment is known for a mobile game called Mr. Autofire, which as you can imagine, it's just like an auto-fire, endless runner-looking game. Galaxy Interactive is on a roll this year. They've already had three investments by my calculations. I keep a spreadsheet of all this stuff um, already. So, I don't know, good all around. It's, it's good to see people kicking off seed rounds. Uh, and $1.4 million for a seed is nothing to sneeze at. So, good job all around to everyone. All right, this is interesting one. Demiurg developer behind Marvel's Puzzle Quest buys itself back from Sega. So the original CEO, Albert Reed, buys Demir back from Sega, who acquired it back in 2015. The company will continue to run Marvel Puzzle Quest and Sega Heroes as an independent company. CEO Albert Reed spoke with GameIndustry.biz about their future in console and PC, and he said, quote, we're finding those ways of running mobile games, porting back to console and PC, and because there's not a lot of studios that have built AAA console content and mobile free-to-play content, we're really in a unique position to help console PC developers and navigate what it means to run a games-as-a-service, do real live operations, roll out new content, and continually tune and balance a game as it evolves. Honestly, I'll always celebrate uh, studios becoming independent, taking the risks they want to take as developers and everything. It is an interesting interview. You should go read it. Um, he's very bullish on, you know, just the general, like, uh, free-to-play and taking all the lessons from mobile and putting them in console and PC. Not going to surprise anyone, but, you know, a lot of people aren't putting their money where their mouth is. We see Call of Duty on mobile, you know, doing a full free-to-play game. We saw them do a free-to-play PC and console with their latest release, but we're not seeing that across all of AAA game development like you would honestly expect. Like, why is Madden a $60 purchase every year? Wouldn't Madden make more money to try to figure out how to, you know, close up revenue by maximizing DAU without gating everything behind a $60 box purchase? So... Interesting outlet. Obviously, Marvel Puzzle Quest did pretty pretty well. Uh, Sega Heroes, I don't know um, if it did as well, but um, yeah, awesome news all around. Um, here's a weird one. Niantic acquires yet another AR company. So Niantic acquires 6D.ai, an, an AR mapping company. Niantic stated the acquisition was to aid in creating a, quote, dynamic 3D map of the world for planet scale AR experiences. 
they kind of have that. <laughs> I don't know. It's I guess it's topography for Google Maps. Um, 60.ai will be putting their tech to the new Niantic real-world platform. It's kind of weird. So all these AR, AR acquisitions make sense for Niantic. They're trying to position themselves as both like a unity and a services for all future AR efforts. Um, Niantic, you know, really wants to own AR development. Like you wouldn't ever think of making an AR game without leveraging their suite of AR tools. And they've probably made like six AR acquisitions in the last two to three years. However, I think with the launch of that Harry Potter AR game, it really showed that Pokemon Go may have been lightning in a bottle and not a sign of future games to come. So we've yet to see anything that resembles Pokemon Go's success in the AR world. And even with something like Harry Potter, couldn't make a splash. And so... I don't know, like Niantic's betting the farm on AR services and that not only is AR going to be the future and not only is Niantic going to make more successful AR games to the level of Pokemon Go, but they're betting a lot on these acquisitions that other companies are going to come to Niantic and pay for these services where they've bought all these AR companies and bundled them together under their Niantic real world platform. So it's a big bet. Let's see if it pays off. I mean, I just... The numbers don't lie. I don't see another Pokemon Go existing anytime soon. That being said, I'm open to the idea that, you know, anything with a talented team and a great game could break all these barriers. So we'll have to see. All right, next up, Colopi has acquired Japanese developer Mages for $15 million. So there's an interesting lesson in this uh, report. Mobile developer and publisher Colopi, known for games like White Cat Project and Quiz RPG, have acquired Mages, who is known as a developer for games based on the Steingates IP, which Steingates is a fairly famous manga and anime, um, not to the level of like shonen names like Naruto or Dragon Ball, but pretty well known in the manga and anime community. The acquisition was in hopes that Mages will be able to pivot to make competitive mobile games as a service, I assume like uh, a Clash Royale or you know anything where two people are fighting. This is a lesson. So this is the difference between a developer that's getting acquired that makes IP-based games but doesn't have games with significant recurring revenue and doesn't own really the games that they make versus a bigger acquisition to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. So this was only for $15 million, um, hundreds of millions of dollars for mobile developers that make their own IP and have their own recurring revenue. Like if you if you can, don't make IP-based games, especially it all depends on the deal you sign with the publisher, but like this company made a bunch of games based on Steinsgate, but the acquisition is just like kind of like an aqua hire, like they're just hiring this development studio for $15 million, when in reality, if instead of Steinsgate, they had something similar and they had recurring revenue, you know, you could see this acquisition being $50, $100 million. So really a lesson if you can, um, make your own IP, everyone. And finally, <laughs> the hilarity continues. Um, my favorite Patreon alternative, Cloud Imperium, <laughs> raises more money for some reason, and people keep giving it to them. So Star Citizen developer Cloud Imperium raises $17.25 million from existing investors to go towards whatever black hole Cloud Imperium has been selling since 2011. <laughs> So Star Citizen is a game 
You can go look it up yourself. It was set to launch in 2014, but has perpetually been stuck in an alpha state as it has raised over $275 million in both public and private fundraising. At the end of 2018, Cloud Imperium raised another separate $45 million for a single-player spinoff called Squadron 42, which surprisingly hasn't been released either. Just so you guys know, a game like Red Dead Redemption 2, which took anywhere from five to seven years to make, depending on how you calculate uh, development time, probably clocked in me just wildly guessing at $200 million budget. So that means Star Citizen, which has been in perpetual alpha and has missed the ship date by six years, is $75 million over RDR2. Like, that's just to give you guys an idea of how much money this company has just, I don't know, taken. Honestly, CEO Ortwin Rarimurth should sell a master class on fundraising and selling dreams. I would sign up in a minute. I don't know what he's showing, what he's saying, what's going on, and why people just keep handing money over to Cloud Imperium, but... Man, this is this is going to be a case study. Whenever we have our video game business industry like MBA, this will be one of the biggest case studies. Is like, how did a company since 2011 raise hundreds of millions of dollars and still not have a shipped game? But all the power to Cloud Imperium. I don't know what else to say. All right, that's it for this week in games. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Also, leave a comment and let me know what I'm doing. You can email me at eric at thisweekingames.com, E-R-I-C at thisweekingames.com if you have any comments or suggestions on the future stories. All right, that's it for This Week in Games. The game industry keeps going even though the world shut down, so I will keep recording. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.